This podcast is sponsored by PNR Publishing. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast to hear about Leland Riken's highly anticipated new book, 40 Favorite Hymns for the Christian Year, available now at prpbooks.com. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. I'm Todd Pruitt. I'm your host as always, and always joined by my co-host, Carl Truman. And it's good to be with you all today. We're so happy that you chose to join us. We want to talk about a subject that is quite uh, inflammatory in a lot of ways. It is connected directly to our current uh, COVID uh, crisis that we've been living with here more or less daily since, uh, since early March. And uh, we've talked about different aspects of this in terms of the church's ministry and the challenge for fellowship and discipleship. But, but one thing that we want to kind of really zero in on uh, today in this discussion has to do with uh, the controversy that is swirling around uh, Grace Community Church in Southern California. It's Pastor John MacArthur and the state of California. Now, let me just say that as we record this, it is August 17th. And so uh, this is very much a live issue that is going on right now in the state of California. And just to give you a brief description of what has been happening, it's kind of gone like this. Back in March, when states across the, the, the union were uh, announcing various uh, mandates and guidelines for uh, what groups can meet and how small your group needs to be, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, most states, if not all states, had uh, certain restrictions that they placed on gatherings of churches, and not just churches, but gatherings everywhere. And so the, the vast majority of, of churches uh, at that stage were, I think, more or less happy to comply, uh, given what we were being told about the nature of this uh, worldwide pandemic and pastors wanting to care for the flock and not put them in thus, uh, unnecessary risk. Uh, the vast majority of churches uh, complied with uh, the, the ban on corporate gatherings, particularly corporate gatherings indoors. At that time, bans were even being placed on corporate gatherings outdoors, if you, if you may remember that. Among the churches that were happy to comply was Grace Community Church uh, in, in uh, Southern California. Uh, they, they had released a statement uh, explaining uh, that they were going to be complying with uh, uh, the restrictions. And they, like so many churches across the country, began live streaming services to almost completely empty sanctuaries. Well, that all changed in July when uh, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, decided that they were going to introduce more restrictions. And among the announcements that the state made is that the ban on churches gathering uh, indoors for their worship services was now going to be, quote, indefinite. Um, at that point, some churches in California 
demurred and decided that that was probably an overstep by the state of California. And so whereas churches were willing to let the state kind of overstep a little bit by forbidding them to gather indoors temporarily, when the state said, no, it's going to be indefinite, some churches objected. Now, uh, Grace Community Church uh, was one of those churches that objected. And because they are one of the largest churches in California, and because John MacArthur is one of the more well-known pastors in the country, that made news when, uh, when the elders of Grace Community Church just several weeks ago released an announcement saying that they would not comply any longer with the state's mandate uh, that they could not gather together on Lord's Day worship in their, in their sanctuary. And so beginning, I believe it was um, July 24th on that Sunday, uh, they, had their, they, they had released this announcement. And then beginning um, in, the, I believe it was the first Sunday of August, they began gathering together again. Now the state took exception to that, announced that there were going to be fines against Grace Community Church and possibly uh, that they would uh, cart the 81-year-old pastor, John MacArthur, off to jail um, as a result of this. Uh, uh, Grace Community Church uh, retained legal counsel. They sued the state of California, and just recently a judge upheld Grace Community Church's position on this until a, a further hearing could be held. And so if you're following what had happened then, uh, a judge said, yep, Grace Community Church can meet and, and with, with no attendance restrictions. But then uh, late uh, this past Saturday night, um, an appeal was, uh, was sent to and, and a decision reached by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals that upheld the state of California's position. So as of August uh, 16th, Grace Community Church gathered, but this time uh, in, in defiance of, of where legally the state of California and the, and the courts stand. Now, uh, certainly Grace Community Church uh, will, will appeal this again. It, it can go up to the Supreme Court. We will see whether or not the Supreme Court takes the case. In a similar case out of Nevada, the Supreme Court chose not to take the case. And so, for instance, in Nevada, you can have large gatherings of hundreds and hundreds of people in a casino, but you cannot in a church. We'll see if that's what happens in the California case. So that's where we stand at this point in the state of California. Now, this is a very, very contentious issue. It is dividing churches. And uh, across social media and in various blogs, uh, there seems to be no shortage of opinions on this issue generally and on the issue specifically of Grace Community Church and its wranglings with the state of California. Carl, let's think through this a little bit. Um, clearly, Scripture tells us that we have an obligation to obey uh, the civil authorities. We have this obligation because Christians are to be peaceable people, um, as far as we are able to be. Um, Christians are to honor authority because we understand that all authority ultimately is given by God. However, the scriptures also help us teach that the civil authority, um, though it is given by God and should be honored by Christians, uh, that civil authority is limited. Um, and for instance, we know from the book of Acts uh, that the, the authority of the civil magistrate stops um, at the, uh, the threshold of where God speaks in a way that is contradictory to what the civil magistrate is doing. Now, the argument from the elders at Grace Community Church 
is that the civil magistrate, i.e. the state of California, has overstepped its God-given boundaries in what it can appropriately dictate uh, to churches. Some disagree with uh, the elders uh, at Grace Community Church for that. Others agree. Let me ask you a really direct question, Carl. Do you believe <laughs> that the, uh, the state of California overstepped its boundaries by saying churches, you cannot gather indoors and we can't tell you when we're gonna allow you to do so. Did the state overstep its God-given authority at that point? That's an interesting question. I'd actually want to, to, to broaden your statement relative to civil power by adding that the, the civil powers have an obligation to protect the weak and the innocent. So to that extent, when, when you're coming to something like the pandemic, I, I think the, it's, it's perfectly legitimate for the state to make policies with regard to the information it's receiving from public health officials as to how to best safeguard uh, the weak, the vulnerable, uh, the innocent relative to uh, the possibility of, of illness. Mm -hmm. So it's in some ways, it's an even more intense conflict than, than you've made out that there's a sense in which the civil magistrate is at least ostensibly doing what it's supposed to do, okay. and that's protect people. Let me then say, and I think in the church, has the right to organize its own discipline, its own worship services, etc., etc. That's mm. very clear to me from Scripture that the state does not have the right to dictate those things to the church. Uh, I think that state mandates become the equivalent of sort of pious advice, if you like, that the, the church may well wish to take into account in terms of the policies it develops for its Sunday worship services, online, face masks, etc., etc., but it does that, the church does that because she chooses to do that relative to her own power and mandates, not because the civil magistrate must automatically be obeyed on these issues. Then I think the question becomes, to, to what extent does the civil magistrate have credibility in arguing that limiting the number of people in a worship service is is legitimate. And unfortunately, as you pointed out, to civil, I, I, I don't know all the details of what's gone in California, in California, but the lackadaisical attitude to large gatherings relative to certain political causes, right? Uh, the lackadaisical attitude relative to casinos mm -hmm. rather undermines the civil authorities' claims to be acting in terms of public health and public safety. It, it's yeah. somewhat selective. Mm -hmm. So all of that is a big preamble yeah. to be saying, no, I don't think the state of California has a right to do this. That does not mean, that does not necessarily imply that I think uh, Grace Community Church have been absolutely correct in all the things they've done and the way they've proceeded on this. But it is to say that I don't believe Grace Community Church have acted sinfully in ignoring yeah. The state mandate at this point. Whether their approach uh, should be universalized, whether every congregation should follow their lead, uh, whether this becomes a hallmark of, of Christian obedience and orthodoxy at this moment in time, I'm very skeptical of that. And uh, right. it strikes me as it's, it's, there's always a great irony to me how 
congregationalists above all people always seem to be trying to generalize from what they do in their congregation to what every other congregation on the face of the earth should be doing as a sign of a sign of orthodoxy but i do think that uh, my view is that when when a governor essentially says to a church you cannot meet to worship uh, he's stepping way outside of the power that he has yeah. and when he's behaved in a certain way towards other gatherings he does so with no credibility yeah, and that and that point of that point of hypocrisy has been of course a, a very live part of this whole debate yeah. um if i if mean i think the, as doug farrow has pointed out repeatedly from a catholic perspective one of the things we've learned about our culture from the the covid thing you know it, it, it's truly apocalyptic in terms of its revealed things one of the things it's revealed is that gathering for worship is no longer considered to be an important thing to protect right. relative to entertainment, gathering on beaches, right. going out mm -hmm. for dinner, these kind of things. And I think that that is being seen in broader evangelicalism right now. Um, and not just broader evangelicalism, but you know, maybe some more self-consciously reformed churches are finding this as well that um, they do indeed have members of their church that have found that um, sitting at home in pajama pants with a cup of coffee, watching the service live streamed, might not be too bad. And, and have not yet really understood fully the implications of not being together on the Lord's day as an expression, not only of our worship, but our obedience to the Lord, and um, our faithfulness to, to, to one another. And, and already now, a, a, a common conversation going on among pastors is, will our attendance ever be the same yeah. once these lockdowns are all over? Because of the number of our people who, who have come to really enjoy not being there on yeah. Sundays, but doing it's, something else on Sundays. That's the next apocalypse in the strict yeah. sense of the word. The next yeah. revelation will be, okay, when, when, when we're all broadly back to normal, what will that look like? And I right. think then we find that, uh, again, the, the convenience and the lack of personal costliness that mm -hmm. comes with just watching online is, it's a tragic indictment in some ways. Right. I mean, my, the church where my wife and I worship here in Grove City, it was online for, for some weeks and mm -hmm. we, we faithfully attended online. But for us, it's not the same. I mean, right. we, we were back in worship last night with masks on. We hate wearing masks in worship. <laughs> I really do. I understand the health arguments, but I have theological issues with my face being covered in worship. But I yeah. would rather be in a worship service with my face covered that's mm. sitting at home, staring at a screen. There's something about yeah. being in, in community. See, and may I add there, this is sort of tangential, but to, to the, the numerous Christians out there who's, who've got very, very angry about face coverings, et cetera, et cetera, worship, bear in mind that your sessions at your churches, they've got difficult decisions to make. And whatever decision right. they make on these issues, they're going to upset 15, 20, 30% of the congregation. Correct. If you're a member of a church, you've taken vows mm -hmm. to submit yourself to the authority of the elders, not in some kind of blind obedience sort of way, but in a way that respects them. And I would say, be supportive. These men are, are dealing with a difficult situation, uncharted waters, many of them 
through no fault of their own, making it up as they go along. Right. It behooves us as congregants to be gracious, tolerant, and supportive towards the men. You know, if you're a member of a congregation, you have the luxury on the day of judgment, you will not have to answer for the health of your congregation as these elders will have to answer for right. it. Right. They're the ones who have to be able to sleep at night. The rest of us, we don't have those responsibilities. So I'd make a plea. Tone down the rhetoric. Uh, set aside your, your, your personal passions to the extent that you're able and be peaceable and as supportive as you can. And if you find yourself in principal disagreement with your elders, do it in a respectful and a charitable right. way. Do it in a respectful and a charitable way. Because yeah. as I said, this is a difficult situation with no obvious right or wrong in some circumstances. Right but a decision still has to be made. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, I echo everything you say there. And, and um, but you're on the receiving end of it as a pastor. Sure, sure. And I'm, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate to, to serve as pastor of a, of a really wonderful and supportive and, and, and loving congregation. So I'm very fortunate that way. And I know uh, that we have people gathering in our services every Sunday who think it's the silliest thing in the world for them to have to wear a mask in there, but they do it and they do it with a good attitude. You know, they're, they're not complaining to me. They're not firing off angry emails. And, and that's exactly where I am. I mean, I'd, I'd be going, this is ridiculous, but I'm, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. And so I'm, I'm fortunate in that sense, but I, I know of guys um, who are serving where this has caused a great deal of division in the church. And, and unfortunately what they're going to do and what I'm, I'm sure they are already doing, is they're sending off everything about John MacArthur to their pastor right now and saying, now that's a pastor. That's a, that's a heroic man. You're a wimp. You're a coward, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I want to avoid this because I, I personally uh, see no problem with the decision that, uh, that Grace Community Church has, has made. Um, I would agree. I, yeah. I, I, you know, I think that these are decisions that, that each session needs to, to make prayerfully, uh, and, and it's going to vary from state to state depending on what the restrictions are and the hostility they sense coming from the governor's office. In some cases, uh, in some states, it's greater than in other places. I think we can make some assumptions about Mr. Newsom in California. But um, I also want to say that, that for those who are much more hesitant to defy some of the, uh, the mandates, and so far, our church has not felt the need to defy any of the, uh, the recommendations from our state. And that's really how they've come. It, for some of the things, they've, they've been recommendations. We haven't felt the need to do that at this point, and I'm thankful for that. But I also want to say, if we're still doing this six months from now, that I have a problem with that for some of the reasons you named, Carl, which is I don't want to be in a position where I am by default teaching the church that our gathering together and actually seeing each other's faces and singing is, is somehow optional. Um, I'm willing to, to suspend some of these things temporarily, but at some point, I think it turns into too great a price to pay because of what we believe about the power of our corporate gatherings, um, be, being embodied people with actual faces on our heads, and some of those things. And I would also say, I just want to throw out one more thing. Maybe we'd be having a different discussion if, if you did not have a 99.96 chance of not dying 
from COVID. I want to say that again. You have a 99.96 chance of not dying from COVID. And that has to be a part of our discussion on this. We do not live in the Middle Ages, and this is not the bubonic plague. And I, I think you point towards an interesting question there, which I'm going to raise now, but I suspect is a question that needs to be talked about when the stakes are somewhat lower and, and nerves are not so frayed. The, the question for me of, to what extent, we've, we've talked about the power of the civil magistrate. To me, that's a fairly clear cut thing. The civil magistrate doesn't get to tell me what time to worship at, mm-hmm. doesn't get to tell me what translation of the Bible we use, what hymn book we use, that kind of stuff. Right. doesn't get to tell me how many people that my church can consist of. Those are beyond the powers of the civil magistrate. More interesting question, how far do elders and sessions have power in this regard? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. for example, if a session mandates that you have to wear a mask in order to attend worship, is that a legitimate mm. binding instruction yeah. the ignoring of which should render you subject to the church disciplinary process yeah. Yeah. Uh, or is that a step beyond the power of the session in saying that you can't worship god faithfully unless you're dressed in a certain way yeah is that stepping beyond powers now i'm, I'm not i'm not asking this question to to poke at anybody I, at this point Anything sure careful the session of the church where my wife's a member and where I worship, they've mandated masks and my wife and I consider them not to have sinned in any way in doing that. Right. But at the back of my mind, there is this question about church power. Mm-hmm. That are, we, are we starting to make, do masks become like an element of worship at that point? Right. At which moment, of course, we're starting to get into the old debates about the regulative principle and, and right. what the church with its ministerial power can require mm. of congregants. That strikes me as a, a, a much harder question than the civil magistrates want. Yes. As I say, one to which I, I've not come to a settled conclusion on. That's why I'm, I'm very happy to obey the local sure. session because I want to err on the side of, of not sinning. If I could right, right. But it's an yeah. interesting question that I think maybe should be raised perhaps after this whole thing's over as a way of preparing for whatever the next crisis will be. Right. And I think that that's a, a really good question. It's one that I struggle with as a member of a session of, of thinking, okay, there's one thing in, in the initial days, you know, back in March and April when, when we were first learning about this, you know, when, when you have governments around the world calling this a global pandemic, you know, you quickly comply with, with what all the quote-unquote experts are saying at that time. Um, at this point now, there's a lot more we know. We're able to chart a lot of things. And, you know, you mentioned the regulative principles. So what we've done, along with most churches around the country, is we've said you have to wear a mask, but you can't receive communion yet. Now, again, I get that in March. I get that in April. I'm struggling with it in August. I'm really struggling with it in August. Um, uh, and, and again, I'm part of a session, and I have voted with our session on this, again, because of what's driven me is um, concerns for the safety of the congregation, that kind of thing. But now, as we see, again, more and more, again, you're, you're, you're 99.96 percentage of a chance of, of not dying from COVID. And so at that point, then the discussion becomes, 
can we in good conscience continue to mandate, you know, this? And that's, that's a good question that, that sessions need to be uh, wrestling through. Now that we, we understand a lot more than we did back in March or April, it, it's time, I think, for sessions to be having some good, serious conversations about, about what we can biblically um, sort of mandate at this point. And are we at a stage? And again, I'm just asking, are churches at a stage now that, where they can say, um, you know what, if, if you feel like, like you need to wear a mask, feel free to wear a mask. Um, given what we know now, we're not, we're not in a place where we feel like we can mandate that. I don't know where I am exactly on that, but I, I know I'm not as solid on it as I was back in March and April. Yeah, yeah. Sometime a few months ago, I was on an online meeting for the first things guys, essentially. Mm -hmm. And uh, Douglas Farrow from Montreal was on, and he's he's written very, very critically about the uh, Roman Catholic Church's stand on suspending of mass, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. I, I raised the question of you know how long is too long? When does temporary become? an excuse and he sort of banged the table and he said, it's already too long. He was, he was <laughs> gunning for it there and then. And um, I, I certainly think that, you know, the means of grace, one of the things that has been done that just communion has not been suspended. Mm. I have not yet attended a masked communion, but uh, will be in, in the next few weeks. Uh, I'm sure. But communion has not been suspended. Uh, I'm guessing that involves some kind of, you know, swift removal of the mask and then replace it. <laughs> right, right. But I'm, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. But I, I do think that we need to, yeah, we lose sight of, of a lot of things if, if we allow the means of grace to be twisted, marginalized, or even eliminated, albeit mm. temporarily for a period of time right. because of fear of the virus. Yeah. And I, and I just want to encourage people to think on this. Those you know, those of our brothers and sisters who tend to, to, to lean far more over into the let, let's just be safe category, I just want to challenge you all to think about this, about God's design for our, for our public gatherings, the, the, the witness of the public gatherings of God's uh, people, what that says about our theology, what that says about our anticipation of the consummation of the ages, the public witness of that, and then the means of grace. What are we saying to our own people and our own children? about the essential nature of what God to do and to make of the Lord's day. If this continues on much longer, I'm very concerned about that. And so um, I, I just want to challenge our folks to think about that and consider that very, very seriously. Again, also, especially considering the fact that you have, you know, a 99.96 chance of not dying from COVID. So yeah. that's my, that, that, that's what I'm wrangling through right now personally on this. Well, and, and I would once again want to make a plea as well for members of congregations. Just remember how you, you speak to those placed in authority above you. Mm -hmm. I make a plea to the general tweeters out there. Yes. Uh, extreme language that you use uh, about mm -hmm. this situation. That has ramifications beyond your tweet, beyond your followers. Right. It plays over into the way that Christian members talk to those placed in authority over them. 
Right. Uh, I don't think referring to masks as much as I dislike masks in the worship service, I don't think referring to them as face diapers or face <laughs> nappies, depending which, you know, whether you're British or American, uh-huh. I don't think that's helpful. No. I, I really do think that ratchet down the rhetoric, understand that there is a respect owed to elders, particularly to those uh, charged with preaching, that should be reflected uh, even in, or perhaps especially in, your critical interactions with them. Yes. And if your local session has taken a decision that you happen to disagree with personally, uh, don't make it 1517 and the Reformation all over again. <laughs> it's not that important. Right. Uh, please tone it down. These are men who are making difficult decisions, whether they err on the conservative or the liberal side. They're not doing so deliberately. They're making a decision. <laughs> Uh, that they, on the basis of all that they know about the congregation, that they think will be best for the people that God has placed under their ministerial care. So I would say, whatever your convictions on this, take a deep breath. Mm. Drop the adjectives when you write (laughs) or email your session. Take the adjectives out. Uh, It is relatively trivial compared to what Christians in parts of Asia and Africa have to face on a routine, yes. day-to-day basis. Okay, well, as we wrap up, all that remains for me to say is uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, please go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, and if you go there, we will have copies of an excellent little book by the Lutheran pastors and theologians John Pless and Jacob Corzine, entitled Faith in the Shadow of a Pandemic. I had the privilege of reading this as a a manuscript, and I've done a little commendation for it, even though I disagree with some of what it says (laughs) as it happens. I think it is a great little book on uh, instructive as to how, as Christians, we should address this issue, how we should think about those placed in authority over us on this particular issue. So go to our website, you stand a chance to, to win that, and if you don't, if you're not fortunate enough to win our copy, please buy a copy for your pastor, for members of your congregation, Faith in the Shadow of a Pandemic by John T. Bless and Jacob Corzine. While you're visiting our website, if you feel so uh, led, if you're able, uh, please do make a donation to uh, the podcast. We are a listener-supported podcast. Um, we, we depend upon the donations of uh, you, the listeners, to, to keep us on the In the meantime, all that remains now is for me to thank you for listening today and to say we look forward to being with you next week. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin.
if you search on the internet for songs about not wearing masks, you won't find one. <laughs> what about rebellion? Well, Gloria Estefan wrote something. Put on your mask when you go out in public. Put on your mask. Help save the world from COVID. Oh, What's the name of the song? Uh, Gloria Estefan redid Get On Your Feet to the tune uh, Put On Your Mask. There could be something better. <laughs> For generations, Christians have celebrated holidays and seasons with special songs. Prolific author and professor Leland Riken invites you to slow down and savor the well-turned phrases of your favorite hymns in his new book, 40 Favorite Hymns for the Christian Year. Now available from PNR Publishing, 40 Favorite Hymns for the Christian Year is a wonderfully devotional and poetic study featuring memorable hymns for the New Year, Good Friday, Easter, and Christmas. As an English professor, Leland provides historical background and literary analysis for each hymn, finishing each with a scripture reading. 40 Favorite Hymns for the Christian Year from PNR Publishing, your source for Christian books that provide clear, engaging, fresh, and insightful applications of Reformed theology to real life. Visit prpbooks.com.